if they have what's uh, defined as automatic immunity. Hallelujah. Amen. So we're, we're getting herd immunity that way by the, the grand number that has gotten injection and those who have caught corona and now they have what's called uh, automatic immunity. So we just thank God, hallelujah, amen. We've been praying, amen. We've been petitioning heaven that God would be able to get us from under this pandemic and he has uh, stood fast to his word. God uh, is in charge, hallelujah. Amen. We want to make sure we remind everyone of that, that God is in charge. Amen. That coronavirus didn't sneak by God and attack, and attack the earth. I still am under the firm belief that it is God who actually was trying to get our attention and wake us up so that we would be able to, uh, that we would be able to uh, turn to him. God is reaching out to his people, a stiff-necked arrogant people, that we would turn to him, amen. And, and we're talking about some stuff in scripture right now that lets us know that after we stop listening to God, when we uh, become disobedient and rebellious, then we realize that God, through Scripture, we see that God uses different modes, methods, and techniques to get his people to turn uh, back to him. So I ask the question, and I'm actually still pondering this, uh, are we the generation, amen, are we the generation that will become so stiff-necked and arrogant that we will not repent of our sins, which we're going to see today in our lesson, that we are so stiff-necked and arrogant and bent on doing our own thing, that we will not relent, that we will not repent, therefore God cannot relent. Are we that generation that sees Jesus come? Are we that generation that sees uh, all hell break loose? Matter of fact, on that note with all hell breaking loose, let's go ahead and get into the sermon message for today. We've been in the book of Revelation for quite some time now, and uh, I'm only on chapter 9, and until God tells me to stop, I'm going to keep going all the way to Revelation 22. And if he still don't say stop, I'm going to go back over and start at one. Hallelujah. Because God is trying to garner the attention of his people. Not the whole world. Now we have to understand, I know a lot of people teach this, that everybody is God's child. No, they're not. Everybody is God's creation. But God's children are those who accept Jesus, the provision that God provided for our predilections and proclivities. Those are the ones that are children of God. Those of us that uh, have accepted the, uh, the, the propitiative uh, sacrifice of Christ who stood in our place. That's how we come from under the punishment and penalty of sin. <coughs> so as we continue in Revelation, we're in Revelation chapter 9. But real, real quick, I would like to do, uh, uh, just to get us up to speed to make sure we're on the same page, I would like to just go real, real quick if I could Revelation chapter 1, we see is the introduction, uh, and it is Revelation chapter 1, so that makes sense, that John the Revelator is introducing the characters, hallelujah, uh, that's going to play a role in the vision that John is going to have. So we see that John now, he's uh, doing his greeting, his introduction, he introduces the seven churches, uh, then he sees the vision of the Son of Man. Uh, and he says that with Jesus, he says in verse 12 of uh, chapter 1, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstand was someone who looked like the Son of Man. Amen. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as wool uh, and white as snow. 
and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, uh, refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like many ocean waters, like many rushing waters. So here we see a description of the Son of God, the Son of Man, uh, in heaven. And I want to point out two things as we look at this description. I only pointed out one last week in an error. I didn't point out the uh, flip side of that coin. Uh, we have, since we are raised in America, we are racist. And we look at everything based on color in this country, uh, especially these days. Uh, we, uh, color has become proliferated in our society. But we see here, the only indication that we have of the physical attributes of Jesus, it says that his eyes was red. Now, is anybody going to try to prove that Jesus had been smoking or drinking? Now, and I'm, I'm saying, I'm not trying to be uh, ignorant. I'm, I am being facetious, but I'm not being ignorant because we, we as human beings, especially Americans, since we so hooked on skin color, there's a lot of people that's trying to prove that Jesus is a black man by using this scripture, but it just simply says that his hair was white. They got white folk, got white hair. Amen. They got all nationalities when you get a little older. Hallelujah to have some. <laughs> we call it great, but it's white right now until it starts turning yellow. Hallelujah. And then it says his eyes was red. What are we going to prove out of that? I don't know. And then when it goes to his feet, and it says his feet were like polished bronze. And I want to point out, uh, because a lot of black people like to use this to try to prove that Jesus is a person of color. But when you look at this word in the Greek, in its original tense, it's more of a uh, olive color, more of a uh, golden color. So we can't prove, hallelujah. And it's really sad that we have to go into these type things so that we would be able to feel that we're part of heaven's family to be able to prove that we fit into Jesus because of his description and his color. You can't prove Jesus was white or black by his description, so stop trying. Then I did point out last week that we can say that he was not white, uh, but we can't prove he, he was a person of color. And if you, if you travel to that part of the world, you would see uh, people in that part of the world that as dark as I am and that as light as Deacon Craig is. So let's stop tripping over color. It's an American phenomenon uh, that America used to keep us divided one from another. So let's squash that. Somebody say squash the place. Amen. Then in Revelation chapter 2, we begin the uh, letters to the seven churches. And the only thing I want to point out is that there were two churches. Let me start right here. The thing that I want to point out about the letters to the seven churches is that Jesus made what we've been defined as a Jesus sandwich. And we got it from our teacher, Dr. Wiggins, and he would call it a Wiggins sandwich. And this could help all those who counsel people uh, and have to reprimand people. He starts off with saying something good. He puts the bad part in the middle, and then he ends with something good. Now, that's, that, that, that can help those of us that's in supervisory positions that have to counsel people. Start off with something good, because everybody got something good about them. Amen. Then we're here to address those bad things. And then I want to close with letting you know that you are valuable, though. Amen. So then the next thing that I want to point out about the letters to the seven churches is there's two churches that didn't get any reprimands at all. And one fact that we have to realize is all churches throughout all history have some characteristics of these seven churches. That's why they made the Bible. There's characteristics that each of our ministries should have that uh, fit the seven churches in Asia Minor. Even if it's some of those negative qualities, let's just be honest, amen? Then we get to Revelation, because that is Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the uh, letters to the seven churches. Then we get to chapter 4, and we see now that uh, the, the vision starts here, 
And uh, Jesus now tells John, because remember now, the Bible says that it is Jesus, hallelujah, who has given John the revelation about the things that are to come soon and those things that are to come later. So Jesus is the narrator. We're going to see that in a minute. Uh, so in chapter 4 of Revelation, the vision starts and Jesus invites uh, John into the throne room of God. And I continue to point out in chapter 4 that when John began to uh, identify and to uh, reveal the father sitting on the throne, this is how he revealed him. Verse 2 he says, and instantly I was in the spirit and I saw the throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and chameleon, and the globe of the emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Amen? So that's the description <coughs> of the Father. But unlike Christ, now Christ, he gave us physical attributes. He told us what color his hair is, he told us what color his eyes are, and he told us what color his feet were. But with God, all we get is a brilliant light. That's his glory. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole teaching about God's glory, but I would like to show you here in the throne room of God in Revelation chapter 4. When you see God, you see his glory. And one of the definitions of the word glory is illumination or a shining. Amen. Hallelujah. So when we see the Father, we see bright light. Amen. Hallelujah. He did not give physical human characteristics to God the Father because the Bible emphatically says that God is a spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. So when we get to chapter 5, now we see uh, that uh, John now is standing with the angel, hallelujah, and there the one that is sitting on the throne has a scroll in his right hand. Now that's the, the word right means something when it's in scripture, when it says that it was on the right side or in his right hand. Amen. Amen. That has a righteous implications. So this is a righteous scroll because it's in his right hand. Now, it says that the scroll had writing on the front side and the back side. But John was deeply concerned because he says that there was no one found worthy on heaven or in, uh, on the earth who was worthy to uh, not only just open the scroll, but to remove the scroll from God's hand because nobody can approach the throne of God. Hallelujah. But I love that the angel tells John, he says, wait a minute, look. He says, uh, verse 6, he says, then I saw a lamb that looked like he had been slaughtered. Hallelujah. Because Jesus had been through many, many battles. Amen. And the lamb of God now encourages John. He says, don't cry because John had begun to weep bitterly. And uh, Jesus tells him, don't cry. I'm sorry. The angel tells him, don't cry because there, behold, the lamb of God. And he is worthy. Come on, somebody say it with me. He's worthy. Hallelujah. He is worthy to take the scroll out of the hand of the Father. And not only is he worthy to remove the scroll from God's hand, he's also worthy to begin breaking those seals. And then we see uh, in chapter 6, we get into the breaking of the seals. And in the first seal, as Jesus, now listen, Jesus uh, 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 is, is the one that is uh, speaking. He says, look, Verse 6, he starts off by saying, as I watched, the lamb broke the first seal open. So it's not John that's breaking the seals on the scroll. It's the lamb of God. It's the son of God. It's Jesus who's breaking the seals. Jesus is the one who took the scroll out of the father's hand. Amen? So let's keep that in mind as we deal with Revelation. 
So the lamb opens the first seal, and when he opened the first seal, there was war. Then he goes on subsequently, and he says that as he opened the second seal, there was violence on earth. And then he goes on and he says he opened the third seal, and there was economic imbalance. And then he opens the fourth seal, and there was death on earth. And he had a companion, he had a homeboy with him, and his name was the Great. Hallelujah. Notice the emphatic uh, definite article in front of the word grave. It says the grave and not a grave. Hallelujah. So it's talking about uh, lower kingdoms uh, in general. Hallelujah. Make sure I turn that uh, charge on. I don't know what I did. Hallelujah. And then we come now. We're here to the fifth scroll. And we have what is called an intermission here. Because something different happens now that happened in the first four seals. The first four seals were open, and there were things happening on the earth. But as the fifth seal is open, he now says that he sees the martyrs, those who had been martyred for Christ. Amen. He sees them sitting under the throne. Those of us who uh, are so emphatic in our relationship with God that we're willing to be killed for the sake of God. Amen. It says for the testimony. Hallelujah. Amen for the testimony of, of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we now, at this fifth seal, we see those of us who are going to be martyred. And I call that sermon, amen, uh, the VIP table. And those sitting uh, who have obtained VIP status, we see now that one of the people that I want to be like is the people uh, when the fifth seal is open. I don't mind being martyred or murdered for God. I really don't. Now, that's just not talk for me because y'all can tell how I teach. I'm not scared of any repercussions. I'm not scared of any backlash. I'm not scared of cancel culture because I'm going to say what God has put in my heart to say from his holy word. Hallelujah. So we see those who are martyred. Amen. And then we see uh, when he opened the sixth seal. Hallelujah. The sixth seal is... Is just about to get started. Amen. It's just about to get started. Amen. No. Amen. Hallelujah. So we want to be able to uh, look at this sixth seal being open, and it says, as I watch the Lamb, once again, it's the Lamb of God that's opening the seals. He says, as I. Amen. Amen. Let me get it. Hallelujah. How many of y'all know about technical difficulties in life? Hallelujah. We're having some technical difficulties, but we want to make sure that we gather all this information. So I'm going to back up just a bit. Uh, you probably got where we were talking about Revelations chapter 2 and 3, uh, that 
uh, this is the seven the churches to the, the letters to the seven churches. Amen. And as we were looking at the letters to the seven churches, what I wanted to reiterate and bring out uh, is that these churches, we all should still have characteristics of these seven churches in our churches today. Amen. Even the bad characteristics that some of our churches still have these characteristics. So what I want to continue to bring out as well is there were two churches out of the seven churches that didn't get any reprimand from Christ at all. Amen. <clears throat> so once again, and, and forgive me because we had technical difficulties, so I wanted to backtrack so we could get all the information. So if I've said this already, just be mindful that we had to start the Facebook Live feed over again uh, because we had technical difficulties. So that's kind of why I'm backtracking for those who have already heard this. So in Revelation chapter 4, we get into the throne room of God, and we see in the throne room of God that as in chapter 1, uh, he, there were physical attributes of Jesus. Amen. The Son of God, the Son of Man. says that his hair was white, his eyes was red, and they gave a color of his feet. And I don't know if you heard this part, but I do want to make sure you it. Black people stopped using this to try to prove that Jesus was black. Because the Bible says that his feet was like burning bronze, which is actually a golden color. Amen? He was a person of color. But it's only an American phenomenon that we like to uh, categorize people by color. Hallelujah. So stop that. Get that out of your mind, trying to prove that Jesus was white or black or, or whatever nationality you are. Uh, Christ, we understand, was Hebrew. Amen? And if you've been to that part of the world, you'll know that there's Hebrews that's just as dark as I am and that's just as light as Stephen Craig is. So stop tripping over color. That's an American uh, divisive tactic that America has used, and it's worked, that America has used to keep us separated and segregated one from another. Amen. Then we get into uh, uh, Revelation chapter 4, and we see that now we're in the throne room of God, and John now, when he sees uh, God the Father sitting on the throne in the throne room of God, he didn't describe him as physical human attributes. The Bible says that God is a spirit. So look at how John defined God the Father. Now, he gave physical attributes in chapter 1 on Jesus. But look at how he defines the Father in the throne room. He says, and instantly I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven, and one that was sitting on it. And the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstone, like Jasper and Carnelian, and the glow of uh, emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. So you see, when we see God, we see his glory. The glory of God. Hallelujah! Because one of the definitions of glory is illuminating or light. Hallelujah. So just be mindful that he did not describe God with human physical attributes because God is a spirit. God is not uh, uh, in one location doing one thing. The Bible teaches us through, through uh, theological research that God is omnipresent, that he's everywhere at all times. Amen? So God the Father has no head that could have hair. He has no feet that could have a color because God is a spirit. Hallelujah. So this is why in Revelation chapter 4, John described God to us this way because all he could see was brilliant light. Hallelujah. Then we get into Revelation chapter 5 and we see now that John has become concerned because the scroll uh, that is in uh, the hand of the one that is sitting on the throne, he says that God the Father has a scroll in his right hand and we always like to teach at this point that the Bible is emphatic on telling us uh, that things are done right <clears throat> in his right hand or that an angel may have come to the right side of the altar. And that word right, it stands for righteousness. So this is a righteous scroll that God has in his hand. 
But John became concerned because there was no one in heaven or on earth that was found worthy, hallelujah, to remove the scroll from the hand of God, but not only to remove the scroll, but to start breaking the seals on the scroll as well. So as the angel, hallelujah, uh, is talking to John, he says now, as John is weeping bitterly, he says, there, behold, the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. And the Lamb of God is worthy not only to remove the scroll from his hand, but also to start to open up the seals. And that's what we're going to get into in Revelation chapter 6. And we see here uh, that when the first seal was opened, when the Lamb, look at the wording in Revelation chapter 6 verse 1. As I watched, the Lamb broke the first seal. See, so it's, it's the lamb that has the scroll in his hand. And I want to point this out because some of us are confused when we read Revelation. Get the picture. I want to give you some imagery. I want to, uh, like my pastor says, give you some word pictures, some imagery. It says that God is sitting on the throne with the scroll in his right hand. The lamb is the only one worthy and to open the seals. So it's the lamb that is opening the seals on the scroll. He's only going to give John the vision. And when John has these visions, he's now writing down the visions that he sees. But Jesus is reading the scroll. This is what God put on my heart to, to give you an example of. Those of us who are readers, who like, and, and I'm a Bible reader. I'm not really a novel reader. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't read many books. Uh, but I, I am a, a, a proficient at reading the Bible. But for those who read novels and, and, and short stories and things of that nature, when you are reading, those who love to read, aren't you forming pictures of what the words are saying on the book in your mind? You can, you can play it out. They always say whenever they make a movie after a good book, they always say what a book was better. Why? Because you got your own images in your mind. So I wanted to make sure we understand that. That it's Jesus that's reading the scroll, the scroll, and he's giving John visions of what he's reading. Amen. So when the fifth scroll, uh, when the sixth scroll was open, uh, the, I'm sorry, let me go back to one. When the first scroll was open, he says that there was war unleashed on earth. When the second scroll was open, there was violence unleashed on earth. When the third scroll was open, he showed that there's going to be economic imbalance released into the world, into the earth. And uh, the fourth scroll is open, and there's going to be death. And watch this. Death has a partner, and his name is the grave. The emphatic word, the grave, not a grave, like one person's grave. The grave, meaning show all of the underworld. Amen. Amen. So uh, he says now, once he gets to the fifth seal, things change. Because from, uh, from seal one through four being open, there was things happening on the earth. But when he opened the fifth seal, this is where we started the sermon, VIP status, obtaining your VIP status. And we say that one of the tables, one of the VIP tables is the Moors, a very important uh, group of people in the book of Revelation, in throughout our history. Because the way this reads, uh, it's a vision from John, so it actually hadn't happened yet, amen? But he, God is showing him that those of us who are willing to die for Christ, hallelujah, those of us who are willing to be martyred, and the word martyr is another word for murder, but you use it when people die for their specific cause that they believe in. And this cause that we believe in is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost in heaven. And I'm willing to die 
to be able to teach folk that this is what the Bible says, and I believe emphatically that this is the word of God, and I'm willing to die for it. I'm willing to draw a line in the sand and say that this is the word of God. It is true. Hallelujah. So I don't mind being martyred for God. And he says he saw the martyr sitting under the altar or at Jesus' feet is what the note says. Then the sixth seal was opened. And when the sixth seal was opened, it was about ready to get started. Look at what he says in verse 12 when the sixth seal was opened. I watched as the lamb broke the seal, the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake. The sun became dark like black cloth and the moon became red as blood. Then the stars fell from the sky like green figs falling from a tree that had been shaken by a strong wind. He says in verse 14, the sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all the mountains and the islands were removed from their places. But so we see it's, it's about getting ready to start. Everything has been established. Now let's go to chapter 7. He says, Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, hallelujah, at the four corners of the earth, and they were holding back the wind so that the wind did not blow on any tree or on the sea. And he says, I saw another angel hurrying down, carrying the seal of the living God. And in, when the sixth seal was open, it was about to get started. But look at what the angel says in uh, uh, chapter 3, of, of, I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 3. He says, wait, don't harm the seal of the land yet. It was just about getting ready to get started. But he says, wait a minute, God sent me to seal his people first. Hallelujah. This is, this is encouraging to somebody that before it go down, before all hell break loose on earth, God is going to seal his people. He already showed us those of us who are going to die for him. Amen. Are you ready? Come on, somebody say I'm ready to die for him. That means you're ready to put your life on the line for him. We already got that group. But now we come into the next VIP table and he seals 144,000, which is 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Hallelujah. But I always like to teach at this point that don't count yourself out just because your mom and your daddy wasn't Jew. Hallelujah. Because Paul wrote an entire chapter in Romans chapter 11 about us being grafted into Israel. Hallelujah. So I got a chance to get the seal of God on me. I hope I'm teaching this right. I hope I'm not making no Jew mad. Amen. Because my Bible tells me that I have been grafted in to the family of God through the blood of the Son, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ the Messiah. So I'm not counting out of 144,000. I don't mind having the seal of God on me, amen, because when the destruction on this earth begins to happen, and we're going to see it in a minute, that the seal of God will, will protect me. Hallelujah. And then we get down uh, to verse 9 of chapter 7. He says, after this, I saw a real large crowd that no man could number. And his crowd was made out of every nation, tribe, people, language, and it was standing before the throne and before the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. And it says that they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand. I don't mind being in that group either. Paul wrote one time, he said this, there's going to be those of us who barely don't make it in as escaping the fire. Hallelujah. And they got some of us that just, we don't mind just being in heaven. Hallelujah. Because at least we are there. But I'm going to tell you the truth, I want to be in that 144,000. I got total access. I got an access pass. I got a backstage pass. I can go anywhere the lamb go. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And then we finally made it to chapter 8. Uh, matter of fact, let me go ahead and finish with chapter 7 real quick. In that 14th verse, uh, in 
one of the 13, verse 13, and one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these who are clothed in white? Look at the second part of the question. And where did they come from? Verse 14 says, and I said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. In other words, John admitted, I don't know. Look at what he says. He says, then he said to me, these are the ones who died. Uh, these are the ones who came through the great tribulation. Now, I always have to caution myself right there because for some reason, in the living translation, it uses the word those who died in the uh, great tribulation. But let's go to uh, the Bible, the one that is closest written to the original text, the King James. And I want to show you, uh, we have to be careful sometimes about these newer versions of the Bible because they take liberty in their interpretation of the original language when they are uh, trying to convert it into these new languages. So that's, that's verse 14 of chapter 7. I'm going to read it from the King James Version of the Bible. Amen. Uh, that way we can see. Because the New Living Translation, they erroneously translated that word to say these are they who died in the Great Tribulation. And in verse 14 uh, in the King James Version, and I said to him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation. Which came out of great tribulation, the King James says. So you really need to circle, if you, go, if you follow me, and you're using a New Living Translation, you really need to circle uh, that word died, because they did not die in the uh, great tribulation. They came out of the great tribulation. Amen. There's a big difference there. Look at the new, the new international version, the NIV. It says, these are, these are they who have come out of great tribulation. Uh, the English Standard Version says, these are the ones coming out of great tribulation. The Berean Bible says that these are ones who have come out of great tribulation. The King James says, these are they which came out of great tribulation. The New King James says, out of. The New American Standard Bible, the NASB says, came out of. So I, I like to look at a whole lot of versions of the Bible before I, before I make a conclusion on whose interpretation is right. And if you notice, the NLT, the New Living Translation, is the only one that uses the word that they died in the Great Tribulation. That is error. Hallelujah. I just wanted to show you that. And, I, and, and the reason I wanted to show it to you so, so uh, much I feel is important because I've told you several times that these newer versions of the Bible, you can read them for understanding because they read how we talk. But if you really want to know uh, and catch the veracity of what the scripture is saying, you really need to go to the King James because it's the one that's translated closest to the original text. I, I didn't say it was translated perfectly from the original text, but it's the one that's more closely translated to the original language. Amen? Amen. Just wanted to point that out before we get into chapter 8. And when we get into chapter 8, we see that now the Lamb is breaking the seventh seal. And look at how chapter 8 starts. We call this sermon uh, last week, The Quiet Before the Storm. Verse chapter 8 starts off in verse 1. It says, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour. The quiet before the storm. Because God has showed us under the altar, there's going to be those of us who got to die for this word. And it ain't just talking about those in the Old Testament. Uh, it's not just talking about the apostles who walked with Jesus. Uh, Paul and 
Matthew and all of them who got a mortar. It's not just talking about them. There should still be mortars in our lifetime. But we've become so rich and so arrogant, uh, so educated, we really don't realize that this is something to die for. There's not many things on this earth to die for. But this word of God, I'll die for it. Hallelujah. Amen. So it says, uh, as we were looking last week at the quiet before the storm, amen. This is now going into the seven trumpets that's going to be handed to seven angels that waited their turn because it says that these seven angels throughout all of history stood before the throne of God. It didn't really say, it said that the 24 elders would bow down and sing holy, holy, holy. The angels, we know, go back and forth throughout the kingdom of heaven and earth, uh, taking care of and protecting God's people. And some of them actually in the Old Testament are called watchers. Uh, we read in one of the minor prophets that there's a set of angels that watch over the earth and they go back and report to God. That's in one of the minor prophets. Amen. And, and, and we see now uh, that as the angels, these seven angels, we never see them having any other job. They simply stood before the throne of God waiting for this day to come. And they were handed trumpets, uh, the Bible tells us. So let's go into the first trumpets. It says with the first trumpet, the angel blew his trumpet, and hell mixed with fire, amen, uh, with blood was thrown down to the earth. One third of the earth was set on fire. Come on, look at the second, when the second trumpet was blown, verse 8. Then the second angel blew his trumpet, and a great mountain of fire was thrown down into the sea, and a third of the water and the sea became blood, and one-third of all living things died, and one-third of the ships on the sea were destroyed. Let's look at what happened when he broke the third, when he blew the third trumpet. It says, then the angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and as it fell, one-third of the rivers and the springs of water. The name of this star was called Woodworm. In my Bible, the, NL, the NIT, uh, it says, uh, the NLT, it says bitterness. Woodworm is in the King James. Uh, it made one-third of the water bitter, and many people died from drinking the bitter water. Then we get to verse 12. The fourth uh, trumpet is blown now. And the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was dark, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, and they became dark, and one-third of the day was dark, and even with the night, there was no light to shine. Then we got to verse 13, and this is where we closed that last week. Then I looked, and I heard a single eagle now, he changed from angel to eagle, and once again, some versions of the Bible has angel right here where it has eagle. Amen. And it said that he cried aloud, woe, 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 or terror, 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 to all who belong to this world because of what is going to happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. And that's what we're going to start at today. Four trumpets have blown. And the devastation from the first four trumpets was enough. But the eagle flies across the sky and he says, the eagle soar high. And he's saying in a loud voice, you ain't seen nothing yet. These last three trumpet blasts, that's going to bring on severe degradation to the world. Come on, let's get into it. I want to use for sermon title today, it's about to go down. And put a period after each word. The sermon title today, 
it's about to go down. Starting in chapter 9 of Revelations for today's lesson, he's now prepared to blow the fifth trumpet. Chapter 9 starts off by saying that the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And he says, I saw a star that had fallen to the earth from the sky. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. When he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace. And the sunlight and the air turned dark from smoke. There's going to be other darkness. You can, we'll know when uh, God is getting ready to uh, transform the world. I won't say in the world because the Bible never teaches that the world will be totally obliterated. It never teaches that. That's bad teaching. Uh, it says in Matthew chapter, uh, tw chapter 24, he says at the end of this age, hallelujah, he says that uh, the end won't come until this gospel has been preached throughout all kindreds, tongues, and nations. The end of the age, the end of things as we know it, is going to change. And it's changing now. It's about to go down, y'all. And we see that all of the other angels had a simple job. All they had to do, the first four angels with trumpets, all they had to do is blow their trumpet. And God made everything happen. Now I want you to understand that as we read in Revelation, you don't see the devil yet. So we can't say that the devil is doing all this, bringing all this degradation, bringing all this trial and trauma on, on earth. The devil, and remember, he's a created being. Hallelujah. On, the only things happen on earth is things that God do himself or things that he allows to happen. And the smoke is so intense when the angel opens the bottomless pit. Verse 3 tells us that as the smoke dissipates, that locusts appear. Verse 3 says, Then the locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to do their normal job. You know, locusts is a vegetation destroyer. Locusts throughout all history uh, have came, and we even see this from the plagues in Egypt. But when you read the story about the plagues in Egypt, the locusts didn't mess with the people because they ate up all the vegetation, which is bad within itself because there's no food, there's no greenery. But look at what he says this time. Don't harm the grass or plants or trees, but this time you're going to sting the people. But look at what he said. Not those who have been sealed. Hallelujah. Not those who have the seal of God on them. You should be standing shouting right now. You don't have to go through all of the degradation that's going to happen on this earth because you are a child of God. It's the 144,000 that's got the seal. And once again, we've been grafted in, so you can't count me out. It's not just, I didn't read where it was just for full blooded. Uh, uh, originally blood in the Hebrews. We have been grafted into Israel. But it didn't, it didn't say 
that they couldn't harm those who had on the white robes. That great multitude that could not be numbered. And that's why when we go back to verse 14 in chapter 7, that's why he said these are the ones that made it through great tribulation because they weren't protected. They, they had to deal with the stings of these uh, locusts who, who we're going to find out was like scorpions. Come on, let's keep reading. Verse 4 in chapter 9. They were told not to harm the grass and plant the trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. They were told not to kill them, but only to torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a scorpion sting. In those days, people will seek death, but they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Times are going to get so hard and so bad, church, that people don't want to die, but they're not, and they, they're not going to be able to. I want you to understand something about what's happening here in Revelation, and we're going to read it when we get to chapter 14, verse 10. I would encourage you to read it over and over and over, that when God planned to, uh, to uh, eradicate evil from this earth, it is not going to be mixed with grace and mercy. Read Revelations 14 and 10. It is not going to be mixed with grace and mercy. God coming to take care of business. I don't know if you forgot, honey, but when Jesus come again, he ain't coming as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Hallelujah. The Bible says when he comes again, he's coming with all power from heaven. And he's coming to rectify all things that have been taken out of place on this earth. Hallelujah. So I admonish you today that you accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Verse 7 of chapter 9. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their head. Faces like human faces. They had hair like a woman's hair, teeth like a lion. They wore armor made of iron and their wings roared like an army of chariots rushing into battle. They had tails that stung like scorpions and for five months they had the power to torment people. Verse 11, he says, their king is the, is the angel from the bottomless pit. And his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destruction. But his name in Greek is Apollyon, which means destroy. Verse 12, he says, the first terror is past. But look, two more terrors are coming. It's about to go down. God is now punishing for them. Come on, let me finish. Let me, finish. Let me, let me get to the next part. Verse 13, he says, then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice speaking from the four horns with gold altar uh, that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. I want to revert back to, score, uh, to the uh, locusts real quick because there's imagery given here because this is written symbolically and I do need to tell you what the locusts mean symbolically. And these are uh, nations, hallelujah. God is sending them in the battle. This is why he, he actually uh, talked about and described their battle here. When, when the Bible uses the term locust, and it's not a physical locust, he's talking about an army because locusts, when they come in swarms, they come in vast numbers. A swarm of locusts can tear the city in one day. 
And he's using this to show us that there's going to be armies posed or poised against God's people. And this is the same imagery that he's given us about this great river Euphrates. In the 15th verse, he says, Then the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were turned loose to kill one-third of the people on earth. Now, I want that to sink in. One-third of the people on earth. And once again, this uh, term, this great Euphrates, is not actually talking about four angels coming up out of the of great Euphrates. He's talking about those uh, 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 Ottoman uh, uh, Turkish people who always, they knew that there was, that was their boundary for entering into God's, uh, the, the land of God's people. The Euphrates River was always the boundary. It's that most farthest boundary where uh, God's people at Israel ends. But right on the other side of the Euphrates, which God has been using for years, for millennia, to keep the enemy at bay. But here he's telling us that no longer is he going to keep the enemy at bay because those who are right on the other side of the Euphrates are now going to come up. God is going to tell this angel, so we're not holding them back no more. Let them come and start the degradation in this land. And look at how many he says. He says, listen, that they were, they have been held. I'm going to read verse 15 again. Then the four angels who have been prepared for this hour. Hallelujah. Those enemies waited their time. They did not try to cross the Euphrates on their own. But when God gives the word, even the enemies are going to come rushing in like a flood. Verse uh, 16, he says, And I heard the size of the army, which was 200 million mounted troops. So he's giving us a little insight there that he's not really talking about four angels. Hallelujah. He's talking about 200 million soldiers. Verse 17, he says, And in my vision, I saw the horse, horses and the riders sitting on them. And the riders wore armor that was fiery red and dark blue and yellow. And the horses had heads that was like lions and fire, smoke, and burning sulfur bellowed from their bodies. Verse 18 says that one-third of all people on earth were killed by these three plagues, the fire, the smoke, and the burning sulfur that came from the mouths of these horses. Their power was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails had heads like snakes with power to injure the people. So when we look at Revelations, there's a lot of imagery going on, and what my teaching has taught me, what studying has taught me throughout various years, is when we read this book of Revelation, that John was exiled to the island of Patmos, and he had to get this vision of this revelation that God gave him back to God's people so that the Romans wouldn't intercept his letters. He wrote them in code just in case the Romans started reading the letters. All of these symbols and, and uh, images was used so that those who may intercept the letters may not understand them. But God's people, God's uh, chosen people, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, they understood who was on the other side of the Euphrates. Hallelujah. Then he's verse 20, he says, but the people who did not die, now listen, this is, this is, this is, this is America 2021 right here. In verse 20, I feel that, that this is us today. After everything we've been through, coronavirus, 
social unrest, racial division, people losing jobs, all that we're going through. Let's start at verse 20 of chapter Revelation chapter 9. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of our evil deeds and turn to God. We continue to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, wood. Idols that can't neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their witchcraft, their sexual immorality, and their deaths. Are we the generation, y'all? Are we the generation where it all ends? Not that the earth is going to end, but things as we know it. There's going to be a new millennium being ushered in after all of this takes place. Are we sitting at the precipice of destruction in this generation? I said Wednesday night, this is gonna be something that I wanna continue saying. I hope this term goes viral. Our house is on fire and we won't put out. America had messed up our minds so bad that I remember getting into the club, and this is just a silly little example. I remember being in the club. You remember being in Germany at the PC club and the Harvest Club. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. What everybody in the club say? We don't need no water. Let it burn. <laughs> and that's what we're saying right now. The world, not just America, y'all. The world is on fire. Each and every storm that comes, they say it was the worst one ever. They said this is the worst fire season burning up California ever. We're seeing things that we've never seen. The racial divide right now, it's, it's just as bad as it was in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. But we, we have become so stiff-necked and stubborn and arrogant, and Ella mentioned it this morning, we don't understand what freedom is in this country any longer. Freedom does not mean that you have the right to do what you want to do. And we're teaching that to our children. You can, you can be anything you want to be. That's why little boys trying to be little girls. Because you your parent told you you can be. We need to explain to them what we mean. We're talking about professionally, honey. If you want to be a doctor, be a doctor. If you want to be a pilot, be a pilot. If you want to be an astronaut, be an astronaut. But we're not telling our little boys it's okay to be little girls. out of control. Now here when we get into chapter 10, God is now taking another interlude. Another intercession. Look at verse 10. He says, Then I saw a mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded with a cloud and a rainbow on his head, and his face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire, and in his hand was a small scroll, and this time the scroll was open. Now, when we saw the last scroll with us, the father sitting on the throne, the scroll was closed and it was sealed. And that scroll had writing on the back side and the front side. This scroll is a small scroll and it's open. And he who stood with his right hand on the sea and his left foot on land, I'm sorry, his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, he gave a great shout like a roaring lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. And when the seven thunder so spoke, he said, I was getting ready to write it down. But God said, no. He says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, 
keep secret, but the seventh under say, don't write that down. Hallelujah. Then he says, then the angel I saw standing on the sea and the land, he raised his right hand toward heaven, and he swore with the oath in the name of the one who sits on the throne forever, he who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, the earth and everything in it, and the sea and everything in it. And he said, there will be no more delay. Uh-oh. It's about to go down. Verse 7, he says, when the seventh angel blew his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It will happen just as he announced it would happen to his servants and the prophets. In other words, he's telling us that scripture is fulfilled. The Bible is fulfilled. And, and listen, I don't care if you believe in the Bible or not. I don't care if you're wrong or regular son or not. If you're an atheist or an agnostic, you've got to be able to admit that everything that this book says is coming true. Now, I ain't asking you to believe in it, but you do have to be honest and admit that all the things that the prophets wrote about, that all of those things that what Jesus taught himself while he was on this earth and what the apostles taught, you got to be able to admit that this stuff is coming to pass, y'all. Verse 8, he says, Then the voice from heaven uh, spoke to me again, Go, take the open scroll from the hand of the angel who was sitting uh, on the sea and on the land. He says, So I went. In other words, he was obedient. Amen? We talked about obedience this morning in Sabbath school. So I went to the angel and I told him to give me the small scroll. Yes, take it and eat it, he said. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will, uh, it will be sour in your stomach. Verse 10, he says, so I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. And he said, just like he said, it sweetened my mouth. But when I swallowed it, it turned sour on my stomach. Then I was told that I must prophesy again to many people, many nations, many languages, many tongues. In other words, God said, I'm going to give them one more chance. Now listen, when we read the end of chapter 9, it says, verse 20 says, that they would not repent. They became so stiff-naked and arrogant in their ways. But this is what I love about God. He took another opportunity in chapter 10 to give them another break. He said, listen. I'm going to give you my word again. I want you to eat this book, and it's going to be sweet in your mouth. When you go out and preach this gospel, this gospel is going to be sweet. This gospel will give somebody else an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. This gospel, after all the degradation, after all the burning, and after all the calamities on this earth, God is going to give one more chance to, the, uh, to John. He gave him the word of God to eat in his sweet in his mouth. I love preaching the word of God. I love talking about the, the, the goodness of God. I love talking about the evil and getting on about Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. It's sweet in my mouth, hallelujah. But when it becomes bitter in my stomach, it's because it's being rejected by those that I love, that we have family members, we have friends, we have associates, we have co-workers that will not accept the word of God. And even after they see everything that God is doing on this earth, we see that God now, there's 600,000 people that have died from coronavirus. Some of us still won't turn from our wicked ways. The government have released the gun law where everybody can just start shooting each other up. We still won't turn from our wicked ways. There's racial division even in the church as ever pointed out this morning. And we still won't turn from our wicked ways. The prices in the stores are going sky high. But we still will not turn from our wicked ways. Our children are rude, disobedient, and arrogant. But we still will not 
our jobs are laying people off left and right, but we still will not turn from our wicked ways. Hatred and ignorance is above the waters in America today, actually across the whole world, but we still will not turn from our wicked ways. But oh, what a loving God we serve. We get right here to chapter 10, and he's going to give us another opportunity. And when I talk about the word of God, when I speak about his goodness, when I talk about his love, when I share his grace and his mercy, the words are sweet in my mouth. But every night when I go home and I lay down in my bed, it starts to turn sour on my stomach because I get to read all the negativity that's going on in the world. We don't want to accept God's plan, his plan of salvation. We don't want to accept his son as our savior. We don't want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We want to be able to live life the way that we want to live it on this earth. But I tell you, I'm so glad that God is going to give us another chance. So I'm going out into the world today, and I'm going to talk about God and his great love. I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus and his goodness. I'm going to tell somebody they need to be led by the Holy Ghost. And it's going to be sweet in my bed and sweet in my mouth. But then tonight, it's going to be sorrow on my stomach. Because I'm going to have to admit and realize that there's those that I love who will not accept the provision that was provided for our predilections and our proclivities. Those are big words for sin. So we got to go out and continue to tell it, y'all, while we still got time. He's given us time, and this is why I ask, are we the generation? Because don't you know that the Persian uh, Empire was a very powerful, strong, educated empire? But they failed because of wickedness. How many of you know that the Medes was a strong, impervious empire? But they failed because of their disobedience and their arrogance. I mean, if you realize that the Ottoman Empire was one of the longest running empires in history, but they failed because they became weak because of their internal failures. How many of you realize that Egypt was a powerful empire at one time, but they failed because they became sexually perverted? How many of you know that Rome was another one of the longest lasting empires in the history of man? But Rome failed because of disobedience and arrogance. And now God has lifted up this little land called America. And America used to be one of the greatest nations in the world. But now, because of our arrogance, our ignorance, our disobedience, God is now sending his prophets and prophetess to tell the people that you're living in a dying world. And if we don't turn this thing around, we may very well be the generation when God sent his son. But I don't know about you today. I don't mind if Jesus come right now. Because I've already said yes to his will and yes to his way. If by happenstance the clouds begin to roll back like a scroll. I'm not gonna hide under no rocks and in no cave because I have already accepted the provision that has been provided for my predilections, hallelujah. I don't have to worry 
when I hear the last trump of God sound because I know that everything is gonna be all right. So I'm secure today. I'm saved today. I'm sanctified today. So I don't have to worry. But what about 